And good morning, good morning. I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to be continuing on our study of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. And today's study on the Gospel of John, we're up to chapter 6. Now, I know chapter 6 is a rather big one, so we're obviously going to be breaking this up into bits as I go along, because there's just so much in it. So, please grab your tea, grab your coffee. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John. And, of course, this is Christian coffee time, so I hope you like coffee and I hope you don't mind. You can have tea or whatever you want. I like to use brown sugar instead of white. And I like to put a little dash of cinnamon and nutmeg in coffee. It makes it really good. You should try that. So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 6. And especially focusing on the first bit here. About our efforts is what it's going to be about. So spoiler alert. About our efforts, our abilities when it, when it comes to serving the Lord. So there's so much in here that some people, they read this, but they don't recognize some of these aspects, some of these principles. So please grab your notepad. It's going to be a lot of information as well for our morning drill. Again, can someone give me the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study and the verses that are used to back up the three points uh, that we use of the Berean method. What are the three points and what are the verses that we use to back them up? <clears throat> First one to get it, it gets notoriety for being right. So <laughs> that's all I can offer you. Uh, copied and pasted. Well, it doesn't matter. First one to answer it. It's first one to answer it. Interpretation. Second Peter 1. 21, application, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, demonstration, 1 Peter 3, 15. And bonus verse, uh, what verse is the three points of the Brian method based off of? What verse do we use to, as the verse to, to back up and show the Berean method? And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What is the verse? It's in Acts. Yeah, it's in Acts. I know someone knows there. I know someone knows. <clears throat> Acts 17, 11. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Okay. So uh, we're up to chapter 6. And again, we're going to be going verse by verse, point by point, word by word, and just kind of slowly walk through the chapter. It's one of the best ways to, to read the Bible is to study read, is to go slowly, do the word studies. You take a look at what's being said, the context of the narrative, what it's specifically being said. So you're not cherry picking, you're not taking a single verse or part of a verse or singular passage all by itself. You're reading it in full context. Then you back up, 
go again through it slowly and see how it's being said. So the specific words and uh, images, and the, again, word studies, and then pairing scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you, you want to take everything that's going on and say, okay, where else in the word of God does it talk about this? And then for the final point is you apply it to yourself to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So this is the reason why we do this, to learn how to read it, learn how to study it, and learn how to rightly divide and learn how to live it. All right, so we're going to do this here. So again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away, chime in. We'd love to hear from you. If it's not relating to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast, as I want to try to limit our rabbit trailing. And as always, if you appreciate these studies, please make sure you give this a like, give this a thumbs up, and make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos. Alrighty, folks, here we go. So John chapter 6, John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. After these things, what things? So you see, context. This always helps to, uh, to bring in the flow of the narrative. One thing to remember, as well as I've mentioned it, is the chapter-verse divisions were added long after the scriptures are written to help with, the, with breaking up the scriptures to, to know how to easier find things in the scriptures uh, to help with the study of it. That, that the numbers, the chapter verse number divisions were added. Now, the thing about that is sometimes it can break up the thought um, where the context actually continues into the next chapter. So we make, make sure we look ahead just a little bit to see if there is anything that also would add to this because we don't want to break up the thought. Always keep that in mind. So when I read things like this, like after these things, just stop for a second, back up and just refresh your mind about what was going on so that you can see the, con the continuation of the story in its fullness. So we see in chapter five, Jesus is debating with the Pharisees and we spent a, a great time on this where Jesus was showing his divinity, how he is, who he says he is and all this and answering the Pharisees question. Uh, their doubt of him, their hate of him, because he, as in verse 18, was making himself equal with God, and he showed how he actually is. All right, so after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Now, one thing when we're reading through the Gospels, I've mentioned this before, I think over on the Periscope broadcast I used to do there, it was I mentioned a number of times the one thing that the Bible doesn't really talk about is how long things took. It says, and Jesus went his way to this city. He went over to this town. He went over to this city. He went over to this town. They went across this sea. Well, they didn't have cars back then or trains. They didn't have planes and, and you know, fast transportation they had to walk everywhere or if they were lucky they had a horse or a donkey or they could ride in a cart 
those things aren't really that fast. And the ships back then, they were not motorized. They were little sailing vessels, which would take an exorbitant amount of time to get from one side to another. And especially if the wind wasn't really that strong that day, they, they might have to row and that such great effort would be put into it. And again, it would take forever. So when we're reading the text, we also want to take the time to actually place ourselves there. You want to put yourself in their shoes. You want to see what they're seeing, smell what they're smelling, hear what they're hearing, and feel what they're feeling. You want to really live the scriptures while you're there. Think about it. Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. How long did that take? Hours? Hours and hours. That would have taken a fair while. That would have taken a fair while. Which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, yeah, it wasn't fast and furious. It, it, it took a long time to, to, to do these things. Think about walking from, I don't know, walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Walk from Nazar Nazareth to Jerusalem. Walk with these different cities, these different places. Walk from Jerusalem to Mount Carmel. It would, it would, these, these distances would have taken a fair while. <clears throat> So Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Now, the other thing we're also going to note here is in the Bible, it does not mention all of the miracles that Jesus did. It says these things were written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on him you might have life through his name. That the that certain miracles are mentioned, just enough that covered enough topic, enough ground, enough context, so you could see his divinity in these things. As it says, if everything were recorded that Jesus said and did, the earth could not contain the books written therein. And when you cross-reference all of the Gospels, all four Gospels, and then throughout the rest of the New Testament, about where they mention some other things that Jesus said and did, you see, as we see here, great multitudes, thousands upon thousands of people would come unto him everywhere he went, and he would heal them. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of thousands of miracles were committed by Jesus. It says he healed, he healed them that were diseased, and that and the multitudes brought it to him his sick, and he healed them all. Okay, think about this: the sheer vast amount of things that Jesus said and did, of the hundreds of thousands of people that came unto him over the course of his ministry, and the miracles. Whole cities would come out to see him. Now pair that to the jealousy of the Pharisees. That the people were like vacating the cities away from the Pharisees to go see Jesus. Now why? What did Jesus have that the Pharisees did, did not? Well, that's where the Bible talks about they have the form of godliness but lacking the power thereof. 
The outward looks all good, the traditions, the protocols, the rituals, and all these different things that they were doing, and the colors, and the lights, and the tapestry. But the Pharisees did not have power. They did not have hope. They did not have peace. It was just slavery <clears throat> to religiosity, slavery to tradition and religion, but no benefit. Jesus brought them peace. He brought them grace. He brought them power. He brought them reality. He brought them reality of the faith. How it was meant to be, as we had talked about before, the Pharisees had corrupted it. They teach for doctrines, their traditions of men, and they have not the love of God in them. But where the love of God, the peace of God abides, perfect peace and the pass of all understanding shall abide upon them and great power is given unto them. So which we see here, great multitudes. Now, when you read great multitudes, is that like a couple dozen? A couple hundred? Well, as we know, as we skip ahead here, this is the feeding of the thousands, the bread and the fish. So this is thousands Thousands of people that come unto him. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Now, there's another point that we can also make. It's really interesting when you do a study on the cults and how they see Jesus. And how the name of Jesus is known to have great, great power, even in other religions and cults, but they refuse to believe upon him. In Hinduism, they know that the name of Jesus has power. In Islam, they know the name of Jesus has power. In Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism, Jehovah's Witness and Mormon, Sikhism, all other world religions, in the occult, they know that the name of Jesus has power but they won't believe upon him. Many people want to follow Jesus for the benefits. Like, for example, I mentioned this one to many people as they don't understand it, they don't know this, that when witches in, in the occult, when they're doing their rituals and they mess up and they get severely oppressed and attacked by the enemy, they invoke the name of Jesus for protection. And, the, and so that the devils won't, won't touch them. They call upon Jesus to protect them and help them. And the, and the devils know the name of Jesus and are afraid. That's really weird. But they do that. People know the name of Jesus. They know he has power. They know he can heal. They know that the name and the blood of Jesus Christ can, can turn the spells and powers of the occult and the enemy to dust. They know this. No, they do that. They actually do that. It actually does work. Now, the name of Jesus of Scripture has power and his teachings have life. But like Jesus says, many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. Same meaning here, as you see in verse 2. Great multitudes, many in that day shall cry, Lord, Lord. The meaning of that, when you look at the Koine Greek, is great multitudes. Multitudes upon multitudes will cry, Lord, Lord. The exact same here in verse 2. And great multitudes 
A great multitude followed him. Why? Because they saw his miracles. It's not because they heard his word. They were not paying attention to what he was saying. They All they wanted was the benefit of him, the benefits of the faith. They just wanted the blessings and the protection and the healing and all the other aspects of it. They want the religiosity. They want the outward appearance. They wanted, they wanted their bellies to be filled. They were not listening to his words. Just like if we were to go back here and take a look at what Jesus says to the nobleman whose son he healed. He says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus knew their hearts. He knew it was in the heart of men. <clears throat> because they, they, they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Form of godliness, but lacking the power of their. That's right. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, here's the other thing. Jesus knows which ones are his, and he knows what's going on. And we also see here where the great multitude would come to him, not because they believed on him, not because they were listening to his word, because they wanted the benefit. What does Jesus do? With the faux believers, the fraudulent disciples, the fakers, the unbelievers, those who refuse to repent and believe the gospel, those who refuse to listen. What does he do? He does not abide with them. The word of God says, and the Lord shows us that he abides with us who believe. Those of us who have repented and believed and turned to the Lord, repent of our sins and believe the gospel, those who the spirit of God is indwelling, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not deny you. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He is not with the worldly. He's not with the wicked. He's not with the unbelieving. He's not with those who are just playing with the faith. And those who are just playing with the religiosity. So, he, so we see here, verse 3, Jesus sees the multitudes coming to him, but they're not listening. He leaves. He leaves. He's not going to abide around in unbelievers. He goes up into the mountain and sits with his disciples. Those who are the believers will have a home in Mount Zion, will have a home with the Lord, abide with God in the holy mount. As we see that, you see this, it, uh, Jesus sits with his disciples in the mount and the, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews is nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company, that's multitudes upon multitudes, a great company that come unto him. He says to Philip, once shall we buy bread that these may eat. Now, here's the thing, though. Does God hate those people? No. Is he going to completely cut them off and refuse to ever deal with them ever again? No. What does the scripture say? He wants all men everywhere to repent. For God so loved the world. First John 2, 2, and he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He wants all men everywhere to repent. 
So we see that the Lord does not just outright, just completely abandon those kinds of people. But as they come and they are calling his name, many in unbelief, many in ignorance, many in just not understanding, many in many different ways, calling upon his name. But what did the Lord say? If you seek me, you shall find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. The Lord also is gracious and merciful and is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. I would like you to really focus on that verse. God is not willing that any should perish. So what does that mean? He's going to work on. He's going to draw. He's going to try to convict. He's going to try to show. He's going to try to enlighten every single person. At some point, somehow, down the line, because God is not willing that any should perish. If God deliberately allowed people to just go to hell without ever having a chance, then he is willing that some should perish. So then where we don't see how it's physically possible, God will do the supernatural to draw, convict, to enlighten, to show, to work upon the hearts and minds of everyone at some point in their life. But look what he says here in verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? How can we work on these people? How can we witness to them? How can we show them? How can we help them? What do we have? Verse 6. And this he said to prove him, to prove Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 8? Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. Oh, what's this? Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. God already knows how to go about reaching and convicting and enlightening and, and working upon the hearts of the unbelievers. It's not our job to convict. We're not the convictors. That's Matthew 6, 8. We are not the convictors. We are not the enlighteners. We are not the ones that do the work. We are the ones that just speak. We are the ones that answer the questions where we see the Lord says here, how shall we go about this? Just answer the question. What are the words? How can we witness to the unbelievers? Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. What is Jesus trying to get his disciples to do? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? What is Jesus trying to get them to do? Think outside of the box. Think outside of the box. 
Now, when we take a look here at verse, at verse 9, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, it's interesting when we look at biblical numbers as well, as numbers are, by, are not an accident we see in the word of God, where we see number five is the number of grace. Number of seven is God's num uh, number of, of perfection. Number eight is the number of new beginnings. Number 13, rebellion. Number 12, perfect government. Number two is, uh, is perfect union. So now we see here, five barley loaves, two, two small fish. Grace, perfect union, seven, God's perfect number. I'm just saying these are just, it's interesting to note this. Now, as well, we see fish as being the picture there as fishers of men. And these are just all little pictures you can pull out of it. But what are they among so many? That this little teeny little bit that I have. Now, this lad was carrying the disciples' dinner. As we read in some of the other Gospels, how the disciples were, were famished. They were hungry. But they were deliberately not eating in the presence of the people, of the multitudes, just out of politeness and, and being more concerned about other people. So we see there's right heart attitude, right behavior in their ministry as well. But the question comes up, what are these among so many? The same thing is asked similarly in the Old Testament. When the widow woman said to Elijah, "We only, I only have a, a little bit of oil in the jar and a little bit of meal in the barrel. We're just going to use it up and lay down and die. What is it amongst so many? In Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? The God that can part the sea, the God that brings the water from the rock. The God that, that formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed him to breath of life and created a living soul. The God that raises the dead, heals the sick, walks on water, turns water to wine. You ask him, what is this amongst so many? The God that can speak the entire universe into existence. What is this amongst so many? He doesn't even need the bread. He could turn, he could turn the rocks into bread if he wants. He could turn the rocks into fish if he wanted. He's God. The point is to think outside of the box. Too often, when it comes to ministry, too often when it comes to serving the Lord, we think about our abilities too much, about my personal ability, what I have in my, in, in my tackle box, what I have in my toolbox, what, what I have learned. That, you know, I'm not an orator. I can't speak. I can't do anything. I don't have I don't have much money. I can't travel. I don't know what to say. I don't have schooling. I don't have degrees. I don't have diplomas. Okay, what is this amongst so many? Think outside of the box. That's why God likes to use unlearned fishermen. That's why God likes to use the base things of the world to confound the wise. That's why God likes to use a tiny scraping of meal in the bottom of the barrel and a couple drips of oil left in the bottom of the jar and causes it to never run out during the whole length of that famine which lasted for years. 
she could have held that jar of oil upside down, it would never have run out. They could have kept scooping that water and it would have kept turning to wine. What are they amongst so many? Well, well, I don't feel like I, I witnessed well enough or good enough. You know, the Lord is able to take a single verse, a single word that we say, and cause it to be like the most epic sermon in the heart and the mind of the hearer. The Spirit of God just needs one word spoken. Go, preach the gospel. Even if it's just one word, repent. Even if it's just one verse, for God so loved the world. Even if, even if it's just one opportunity to just talk to them once, one track. One thing, one thing, one little thing done in the name of the Lord can shake the very gates of hell. A cup of cool water unto the thirsty. A warm blanket to he which is cold. One meal to the hungry. One kind thing done in the name of the Lord can be the most profound thing in the receiver. The Lord wants people to think outside of the box. Don't think about your inabilities. Our inabilities do not limit the abilities of Jesus Christ. For the Lord knows what he would do. The Lord knows how he's going to convict the hearers, how he's going to how he's going to draw them, how he's going to work upon them. We leave it with him. We do all that we are able to do. What were you able to say? What were you able to do? What were you able to give? Now give that to the Lord. Ask the Lord to bless it. Say, oh, Lord, I should have done more. You did what you could. That's all that's required. Don't beat yourself up about that which you did not do. Because oftentimes, as the Spirit of God is the one that causes us to speak, he may only want you to say only those things which you said. Oh, I should have said that. Maybe he didn't want you to say that. Oh, I should have gone and done this. Maybe he didn't want you to do that. Instead of doubting and fearing and disbelieving and wrapping yourself up in worries and fears, rather give it to the Lord and rejoice that anything was done at all. Oh, I should have handed a track to that person. I should have done this. If you are willing to do it and you didn't, maybe the Lord didn't want you to do it for some reason. Maybe that person has, has blasphemed the Holy Ghost and is sinning and rebelling against the Lord and the Lord is working on them in some other way. Who knows? I don't know. But the point is, don't beat yourself up about what could have been. Don't beat yourself up about your inabilities. As long as you're willing to work for the Lord, serve the Lord, be able to devote yourself to and willing to speak, willing to work. That's all that's required. Don't beat yourself up about what you did not do. The Lord is able to, to fulfill the, the whatever else is left. Don't worry about this. There's a lad here. A boy. A little boy. Children are able to serve the Lord. A child carrying the bread and fish. The mention of this child is permanently written in the word of God for all eternity. Just carrying the bread and fish. No word is uttered by the boy. He just carried it. 
but that was blessed of God. This child got to see an incredible miracle because of his faithfulness. You're not able to say anything? What are you able to carry? What are you able to work? How are you able to serve in charity and service and to help? And maybe you're a door a doorkeeper in, at the church. You open the door for people. Maybe you help tidy up with, with the hymn books afterwards or sweep the floor or some other little, little thing. Nothing is too menial for God to bless and God to take notice of. Just handing out a track or even just folding the tracks. Anything. Anything. The point is doing something for the Lord. A single word, a single tiny work, a single little thing can be blessed of God. Our inabilities do not limit the abilities of Jesus Christ. What are they among so many? What am I? Lord, I am nothing. Are you able to use me? There is a boy who carried the bread and fish. There is a man sent from God. His name was John. There's a woman named Deborah. And Jesus says, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down a number of about 5,000. Now look what it says here. So the men, it's not mentioning the women. It's not mentioning the children. It wasn't just only men that came to him in the crowd. This is 5,000 men. It's not mentioning the women and the children. So there could have been, okay, let's say if there's 5,000 men, let's say each man had a wife, so that's now 10,000. And now, that, so now let's say they have a couple children. Do you see how many, this great multitude came to him? Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. He makes us to sit down in the grassy fields. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in the, in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He gives us life again, gives us strength. He saw, saw that the people were hungry and famished and faint from the long travel. He saw that they were hungry. He fed them. He made them sit down in the green grass and fed them. The shepherd of Psalm 23. We also notice something else here. He told his disciples, now go and have the people sit down in groups of 50. Okay, how long would it have taken? How long would it have taken here for the disciples to go out through all this great multitude, break the multitude up into groups of 50, and sit down in the grass? How long would it have taken to orchestrate this whole circumstance? A rather long time, maybe. Right. So the other thing we also got to take note is here is time. How much time is involved in service of the Lord? It takes time sometimes. 
where we bring the request unto the Lord. We make known the request unto God. And then what do we do? Don't fear about it. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Don't be anxious about it. Worry not, fear not, doubt not, care not, waver not, fret not. But go and keep serving. Make your request known unto the Lord and keep serving. Say, Lord, we're in need here. Keep serving faithfully. Go, get busy. Take your time. Serve the Lord. And then Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, blessing it, he distributed to the disciples. I am the bread of life. He distributes unto us as he sees need. And we take what the Lord has given us of our abilities, of that spiritual gifts that he gives us, of our abilities of service. And we go and distribute it as the Lord gives us utterance. He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. A cup overflows. My cup overflows. The jar of oil will not run out. The barrel of meal will not run out. Water comes from the rock. As much as they would. You see the words here. Jesus took the loaves. That all that they had. And likewise the fish. And distributed it. He takes this little teeny little bit of what I have. And he can multiply it. To be sufficient. To completely fill. Every single person we come along. As much as they would. This is so comforting, really, when you think about this. I never have to worry about what to say. I never have to worry about what to do. I never have to worry about, did I say this right? Did I do this right? You just say what the Lord gives you. You just do what the Lord directs you to and just leave it with him. Well, I, I should have said more, but that's not what he gave you. He gave you this little bit of bread here just for this person here. This is as much as he wanted you to do. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's enough for them as they need for right now. Look at verse 12. When they were filled, when they were filled, that bit of bread, bit of fish that Jesus gave them to distribute it, how long did it take to distribute the bread and fish to the multitudes? Do we have any mathematicians in the in the uh, audience here who could guesstimate the amount of time it would have taken to go down the mount, distribute the food, go back up, get more, go back down through let's say let's say even just just the 5000 men. How long roughly would that possibly have taken? Think about this. So in our dis distribution of the bread of life, you don't look at the time. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how long it takes. What if it takes you all day, all week, all month, all year, 
What if it takes you several years? What if it takes you your lifetime of distributing the bread and the fish? What if it takes a lifetime? Yeah, think about it. All, all of those, just what you're, what you're mentioning there. But there's hills in the way. But there's a valley. But it's raining. But it's too, too hot. But it's too far. But it's too much. It's all irrelevant. There's too many people. That's irrelevant. The Lord meets the need and gives the strength in the very moment. When they were filled. So what do you see here by when they were filled? What does that imply? That implies a couple things. The disciples were obedient and faithful and they finished the work. They didn't just, they didn't get halfway through. Oh, this is too much. I'm too tired. We need to just, just call it quit. No. They plodded on. They took their time and they finished the work. They finished the work. They did everything they were told to do to its completed form. All that they were told. All the people were filled. And the patience of God. Hey, you're eating my mind. The patience of God in this. Jesus sat there the whole time. Smiling. Watching this. And, and listen to the joy. The hungry, starving people rejoicing. That the bread of heaven, that the fish, the fish is just is given to them freely by grace. The multitude didn't earn the food. The food was not a reward. The food was just given. Life, bread was given. The bread of heaven is given unto all freely by grace. That bread of life is given to all. You see the pictures here. You see the pictures. When they were filled with the grace of God that passes all knowledge, all understanding is given to all. When they saw this, the disciples dispersed it unto all. He said to his disciples, now gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. That nothing be lost. What is that? That is Isaiah 55, verse 11. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That nothing be lost. Now, if we back up a little bit beforehand as well, and we compare this with the other Gospels that talk about the feeding of the thousands. It says the disciples were hungry. The disciples wanted to eat. But what did the disciples do? They followed the example of Jesus that he gave them with the Samaritan woman at the well. They said, Master, here, eat. And Jesus says, I have meat to eat of that ye know not of. 
And Jesus actually refused the food because the multitudes are coming because there was work to be done. He wasn't going to delay in his service to just feed himself. So he, he set aside that which is needful for the body because that which is needful for the spirit is more important. What did the disciples do with the thousands? They followed Jesus' example. They, they served first, ate later. The disciples are still hungry. They still hadn't eaten yet. The disciples hadn't eaten yet. Now, how long would it have taken to have all the people sit down? Long time. How long would it have taken to feed them all? Long time. But they were faithful anyways. They took that as a time to fast then, I guess. Oh, well, here's an opportunity. I guess, I guess, uh, you know, going through some issues. Uh, hey, time to fast. You can't eat? Okay, let's fast. Let's fast and pray. So, but what do we see the Lord do here? The Lord took their own bread. Jesus took the disciples' own bread, the disciples' own fish, gave it to the people. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments. Those who honor me, I will honor. From those couple little loaves, couple little fish. But Lord, this is all I have. You can have it anyways. I give it to you. You can never outserve God. You can never outserve God. Die to self, surrender to the Lord, live for the Lord, watch the Lord bless. You give all that you have to the service of God, to service of Christ, and preaching and teaching and service and witnessing and evangelism. You watch how the Lord will help you, will strengthen you, will provide for you, your every need. And they gathered themselves together and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. We see here as well that in serving the people, what you get in return, your cup will overflow with what? The oil of gladness. The, the joy that comes out of serving, the joy that comes out of witnessing, the joy that comes out of uh, proclaiming the testimony of Christ. Many may not believe, many will not hear, but it's a very fact that you're serving the Lord, that you're speaking for the Lord, that you're witnessing for the Lord. The spirit of God within you rejoices. The spirit of God rejoices. Nothing is lost in the service of Christ. Therefore, they gathered them, them together and filled 12 baskets. My cup overflows. Filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them which had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracles that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that would come into the world. Now again, as you see, many still may not understand. You'll witness, you'll go out of your way, taking time out of your day, time out of your life, time out of your schedule to witness to people, to show them, to evangelize, to street preach, hand out the tracks, and you'll be met with opposition. You'll go out of your way to show them who Christ is, and they still won't get it. People will still believe what they want to believe. 
in many, many times. Some will still think of Jesus is just some prophet. He's Michael the Archangel. He's just some holy man. He's just some ascended master. Or he's this incompetent baby that needs his mother or whatever else. But the point is, as we see, nothing is lost. His word will not return void. Those verses, that, wit that witness, those tracts that you handed out will stick in the heart and the mind of the receiver. The, lo the Lord will use that. His spirit will use that and will plague them and convict them and draw them that all throughout the rest of their life, these things will pop up in their mind again and again and again and again. And if they refuse to repent and believe the gospel, they will stand before the judgment throne of Christ and they will not have, an, have a single excuse. The Lord will cause them to remember these things and they will see these things and they won't know what to say. The point is to leave people without excuse. They will not be able to say, but I was never told. God is not willing that any should perish. Many said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When G Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So you see, the grace of God reaches the unbelievers, blesses them in a way of enlightenment and try to help them to draw them to open their eyes that they, to, that they would see. And they were, when they refuse to listen, they refuse to accept the fact they refuse to listen to the word. He goes back up into the mount. The point is to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. If even just one person, if just one person, out of a multitude gets saved, just one person, it's worth it. Saving one soul out of the fires of hell is worth a lifetime of service. You could spend countless days, endless nights, endless tears, bloody fingers and knuckles from the service in the, in the scoffings and the persecutions and the oppressions of life, it's worth it to save one soul. In this, it, but uh, brushing your feet type of thing, well, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. If that's what they want to believe, if they refuse to listen, okay, fine. Hand them over to the Lord. Lord, I did what I could. Please take over. Pray that what you did would continue to, to prick their hearts and minds. Like Jesus saying to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Uh, the testimonies of the saints, the testimonies of, of, of the Christians. That they would constantly remember this. You don't You don't just say, okay, fine, then go burn in hell. You're not going to do that. You're not going to cast them to the devil. You're not casting them into hell. You're saying, Lord, I did what I could. Please take over. They're not listening to me. They're not heeding what anything I'm saying. But Lord, would you please take over? Down the road, you never know, down the road, some of this multitude that ignored you, might have a Damascus Road experience. They might not get saved now. You might be the sower 
someone else might be the reaper. They might come and reap the harvest and, and lead them to the Lord. It may take time. Let's say you witness to them. They get mad. They get mad at you. They crumple up the track and throw it down. And they curse Christ. And they curse you. And they storm away. Lord, I did what I could. Please take over. But let's say five years from now, that same person that cursed you out and crumpled up the track. Let's say they come across another evangelist. Or they get so convicted that they might walk into a church, hear the service, get saved. See, the point is looking ahead. Looking ahead. Don't just look at the here and now. We live in the here and now, but we don't just look at the here and now. Because Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. The butcher of the saints and destroyer of the church became the Apostle Paul. Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church became the Apostle Paul. Keep that in mind. Anybody, anywhere could have a Damascus Road experience. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, they're going to make him something other than what he is. Verse 15, you see that? When people are going to try to make Christ something other than what he is, did Jesus come to reign as physical king of Israel? No. He came as the savior of Israel, the redeemer of Israel, to save his people from their sins, not save them from the Romans. They wanted to turn Jesus into something else. They want to turn Jesus into Michael the Archangel. They want to turn Jesus into a lesser prophet less than Muhammad. They want to turn Jesus into an ascended master. They want to turn Jesus into just a physical man king. They want to just turn Jesus into... And Jesus leaves. Nope, I'm not having anything to do with that. Jesus nopes right out of there and walks away. They want to turn Jesus into a money bank. Exactly the prosperity gospel kind of thing. That, that Jesus came to die on the cross so you could get a new Mercedes. Uh, sorry, I missed I missed that portion of the Bible. Where does it say that? Where, where Jesus came so you could be healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful and have your best life now? I think those kinds of people need to go and actually read their Bible for once. Turning Jesus into something other than what he is according to Scripture... That's where Jesus walks away. That's where he walks away. When Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. And when even was, was now come, his disciples went down to the sea. When even was come. So this was an all-day event. This took all day. Long day. Long nights. You will have long days and long nights. You will have great opposition. You will have great persecution. They will hate you because of me. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. In this world, in this world you shall suffer uh, tribulation. There will be hardships. There will be storms. There will be mockings and cruel scoffings. All kinds of things will come upon you for the service, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The devils will come out of the woodwork and tempt you and try you and depress you. The spirit of heaviness will fall upon you, but the garment of praise is given for the spirit of heaviness. You'll have all kinds of opposition, but 
rejoice and praise the Lord anyways. Because you know that the service of the Lord is the greatest reward. It's the greatest thing you could do. If even just one word, even just one track, even just one prayer, the Lord is able to use it. So after this long day, this grueling day, think how tired the disciples were. You know, it is often stated that Monday is the preacher's nightmare. The day after Sunday is when everything goes wrong for the preacher. <laughs> or, or generally sometimes even right after the service. Right after the service. Because the devil comes along with a great big giant soaking wet cold blanket to throw over you. Great big bucket of water just to dump on your fire. You had a great day on fire, a wonderful time. And then something, something, something just has to come along. Just has to come out of the woodwork. This comes out of left field. This comes barreling through the stop sign and just blindsides you just to throw you in a bad mood. Just throw you around the bend, just to ruin your joy, just to sap you of your energy. Something, something comes along just to destroy you. Every time. Every time. Especially when you're tired. When you're tired, you're worn out, you had a long day, you're, you're done. It's just, you have nothing. Left. All you can think of is just the pillow right now because you're just so tired. This is where the enemy takes advantage. The moment you click off, you hang up the mic, you start walking away. Something. Every time. Guaranteed. When even has now come, his disciples went down to the sea. The long, long, grueling day of service. But it wasn't that it was grueling, but, you know, it's grueling to the flesh. You're tired. You're worn out. You're sore. Your back hurts. Your legs are tired. Your knees hurt. You got a headache. You're out in the sun for, for a long time. So now you got, sun, you know, heat stroke or something. Who knows? Who knows? But they're tired. They went down, to the, down into the sea and entered into the ship. Verse 17. And went over the sea towards Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus did not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And a storm just comes out of left field and hits them when they're trying to cross over the sea. Now, there's many, many, many pictures you can pull out of this. But what I'll, the only picture I really want to pull out of here is... Where is Jesus? Now, sometimes we can forget to pray. Especially when we're tired after a long day. I'm not saying that's what happened here. I'm just saying these, these are some pictures that we can pull out of it. Sometimes we get so caught up in the moment, we kind of forget to pray about it. We forget to bring the Lord into it. We can forget the Lord. Where's Jesus? He wasn't in the boat. A great wind blew and caused a storm. Great waves of opposition. And they rowed and rowed. Verse 19, so when they had rowed about five and twenty, five and 20 or 30 furlongs. They didn't even know how far they got. They're just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And they're getting nowhere. They're getting nowhere. 
they're about a mile off of shore, so they're not at shore. It's not it's not shallow water. They're out in the middle of the sea, and they don't even know where they are. They don't even know what they're doing. They're just rowing and rowing and rowing with waves of opposition, and along comes Jesus walking on the water. They see Jesus walking on the sea. Sometimes we forget what we're doing. We're not paying attention. We're just kind of battling ourselves, opposing ourselves. Or Jesus is just calmly out for a stroll on the water. It's actually not a big deal. Sometimes we can make a big deal out of something that's not meant to be a big deal. Especially when we're tired at the end of the day. The grasshopper becomes a burden. One person just says a word that just sets us off. Someone cuts us off on the road and we're in a bad mood, especially when you're tired. Your coffee spills over or you, you missed an email or something else happened or the kids won't be quiet or the dog won't shut up. <laughs> Who knows what? The kids, the cars and the cows. And there's just something goes wrong and now we're in a bad mood. Jesus walks on the water. It's not a big deal to him. Why is it a big deal to you? Why, why do we make big deals out of things not meant to be a big deal? So when they had rowed about 5 or 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. Afraid. But what does the Lord say? God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He gives us not this. He is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the saints. Jesus then said unto them, it is I. Be not afraid. You thought you could outroll me. You thought you could leave me behind or you forgot me or you didn't pray. But what did the Lord say? I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us in the storm. It's not about Jesus stopping the storm. It's about that he is in it with us. He may not always stop the waves, but he's with us in it. He is with us always, even unto the end of the world. It is I. Be not afraid. Focus on me, not the waves. Look at what I'm doing. Look how, how I'm... It, it, does the Lord fear about this? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? If it's not a big deal to God, why do we make it a big deal for us? If God can part the sea, if God can bring water from the rock, if God can cause the fire of the furnace to not touch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God can close the mouths of the lions, if God can turn the hearts of Pharaoh, if God can save Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar writes Daniel chapter 4, if God can turn staffs to snakes and heal the lepers and raise the dead and walk on water, if Jesus can feed the thousands, what are we worried about? What are we freaking out about? Why do we even worry? Why do we worry? Why do we fear when the storms come? Well, it's easier said than done, I know. 
and even the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin. I'm the, I'm the least of all saints. I'm the most wretched of all sinners. Even the Apostle Paul had bad times. But the point is, is to have reality checks. Reality checks. Now, not reality as it is in physicality. Not reality as it is in materiality, but reality as it is, as it is in spirituality of God. That God can defy the laws of physics. God can turn the very circumstances. God can do anything, achieve anything. He could do anything. And if he could do it for them, why wouldn't he do it for us? James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For, for, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Like the disciples here, beaten with the waves, tossed to and fro. Doubting, fearing, like a wave of the sea. Jesus walks on the waves. The disciples were beaten by the waves. The point is for us to rise up. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Jesus comes walking on the water. Jesus says, it is I, be not afraid. Like David before Goliath. Goliath was a huge, huge tidal wave. Where Goliath... In all of his armor, his spear with the shaft like a weaver's beam, his coat of mail and all his armor and his shield, that is a giant over nine and a half feet tall, standing there, the champion of the Philistines, bellowing out the, the challenges to Israel. And it says all, all the men of Israel, their hearts fainted, melted for fear. Could you imagine... Being back then, being one of those guys in the Israelite army, and you see Goliath standing there, nine and a half feet tall, with all of his armor and his huge spear, the champion fighter, undefeated, undisputed champion of the Philistines, bellowing out curses against God, curses against you, and all he wants to do is rip you in pieces. Yeah, you might be a little nervous, but look at David. The scriptures say David had the heart of God. He didn't fear. He, he knew something that the other men of Israel did not. He knew and remembered what God is able to do before. Isaiah talks about this, about being remembrancers of the Lord. Remembering how the Lord helped you before. How the Lord rescued you before how the Lord provided for you before, how the Lord protected you before, remembering all the answers to prayer, all the things that he said and all the things that he promised, all the things that he did, and the overwhelming amount of things that the Lord has done for you and others before. How's the Lord going to fail again? How is the Lord not going to pull through? How is the Lord not going to provide when he said he would? How is the Lord not going to protect you when he said that he would? Have you called upon him in believing faith? Or are you calling upon him in fear, doubting, 
If you're calling upon him in fear, doubting, you're not going to receive anything of God. You're asking amiss. Psalms 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, 9. If I turn away my ear from hearing the law, even my prayer shall be abomination. Think about this. As Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty two to 24, about not doubting in your heart those things which ye ask. To remember what the Lord has done, what the Lord has said before. How the Lord said he will help. Jesus says, it is I. Be not afraid. Jesus didn't even address the waves. Jesus didn't even say anything about the waves. He didn't say anything about the storm. He didn't say anything about their rowing and about their, their trial, their struggle, their effort. He didn't, see, he didn't even address that. All that Jesus said for them is to remember him. Look at him. See only him. It is I. Be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. This is something I like to pull out that a lot of people don't, re don't realize, don't remember. I'm about to blow your mind if you haven't seen this before. Okay. Now, if we take a look here at verse 21. You're looking at this? John chapter 6, verse 21. When Then they willingly received him into the ship. And what? Where were they located? They're in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, far from dry land, far from solid ground, far from, from, from rootedness, groundedness, far from safety. Far from safety, far from solid rock, far from the rock that is higher than I, they're out in the middle of the sea, out in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the waves. And the moment Jesus steps in the boat, the moment you remember the Lord, the moment you accept the Lord's abilities, the moment you give up, stop fearing, stop doubting, stop wavering, the moment you stop looking at the storm, immediately the ship was at dry land. Now, what I want to mention here is if we go back into the Old Testament and go to the story of Elijah. Now, if you remember the story of how Elijah had been uh, fighting against the prophets of Baal, how Elijah had warned Ahab and Jezebel about because of their rebellion, all their great sin, their abomination, and they're causing the people to turn from the Lord and the Baal worship, child sacrifice, and all that horrible, horribleness. Um, and Elijah brought, uh, called upon the Lord, and the Lord brought the famine upon Israel as the judgment of God. And that Ahab uh, put out a decree that uh, Elijah is to be hunted down and killed. So Elijah went out, uh, away from there so they couldn't find him. Finally, the Lord tells Elijah, okay, now go show yourself to Ahab. It is time. So Elijah goes, and as he's coming, he's met, he's met by um, one of the servants of Ahab who is a secret worshiper of Jehovah. 
And this servant, Elijah says, go tell your master Ahab, I'm here. And the servant says, why are you doing this to me? For, for Ahab has gone everywhere and everyone has promised and, and, and swore that they didn't know where you are. Now you're telling me to go tell Ahab you're here and he'll kill me because I swore that I did not know where you were. For the, for the, for the Lord knows that the, as we are coming, the, the spirit of the Lord will pick you up and put you down who knows where. The servant said to Elijah, for we know that the spirit of the Lord will pick you up and put you down who knows where. And Jesus stepped in the boat and they were immediately at dry land. And when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, as they were coming up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught up Philip and placed him down in the city of Azotus. Three times it is mentioned in the Bible, teleportation by the Spirit of God. I'm just saying, just as, a, as an awesome little tidbit there. Teleportation by the Spirit of God. God used to do that with the prophets. He did that with the disciples in their boat in the middle of the sea. And he did it again with the disciple Philip after he baptized the Ethiopian. Three times. It's mentioned specifically three times in the Bible. So that's pretty cool. So you see how the Lord defies the laws of physics. Water comes from a rock. He parts the sea, raises the dead, heals the sick, speaks the universe into existence, teleports his servants around as, he's, as he has need. God is able to do above and beyond all that we could possibly see or think. He can make hail. He can make hail fall from the sky and burn as fire on the ground. He can turn water to blood, staves to stakes. He can do anything, everything. The point is to not let our tiny, little, finite minds try to decree to us how things are to be done. Rather, think outside of the box. And hand yourself over to the Lord, the God who is able to do anything and everything. Even if, if you do not bow to the image, we will cast you into the burning, fiery furnace. The Lord knows that the Lord is able to deliver us from the fire of your furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Then Nebuchadnezzar, enraged, told his men to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it has ever been. And they bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, dragged them over to the burning, fiery furnace. And the men, and the men died for the heat of the flames. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were hurled into the furnace, and the fire did not touch them. The lion's mouths were stopped. The point is, the point is, Peter walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. This is not the first time this happened either. Did you know this, this actual account of Jesus walking on the water happened twice this actually happened twice. There was the feeding of the 5,000. Then there was the feeding of the 7,000. And then Jesus walked on the water the one time. And then the second time 
is when Peter walked on the water. Peter remembered this and says, Lord, it is, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Now, I'm not a betting man, but, uh, but if I was, I would bet literally anything that Jesus smiled. Jesus grinned. When Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. I'll bet you anything. Jesus smiled. He was grinning. He says, come. And Peter leapt out of the boat and walked on the water. To smile in the midst of the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll bet you anything they were smiling and laughing. Could you imagine being there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The absolute overwhelming fear of the natural instinctual fear of flesh of being burned alive in a furnace. You have Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of Babylon, scowling, sneering down at you, threatening to burn you alive in a furnace if you don't bow to his image. Then you're surrounded by guards and you're about to die. You know how much anxiety, stress, your heart would be palpitating, you'd be sweating, you'd be grimacing and cringing at the, at the prospect of this, but you dogmatically say, no. The, the Lord is able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, I refuse to bow. And Nebuchadnezzar screams in rage, burn him. They drag you over, tie you up, dragging you over, dragging you to the front. Use the fires getting closer, getting closer, getting closer, getting closer. And you, and you start to feel the heat. And then you're hurled into the furnace. The fire burns off the ropes, but it doesn't touch your clothes. It doesn't touch your hair. Not a hair of their head was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And they stand up that they are literally in the middle of a roaring, fiery furnace and the fire is not touching them you don't even feel the flames it, it, it nothing's happening do you know how hard you would start laughing out of relief do you know how hard you would start laughing just out of just the relief of the stress and suddenly jesus is standing before you did we not cast three in the furnace but now there's four you know how hard you laugh do you know how, how much Daniel would have been smiling when the lion's mouths were shut? How much the people would have laughed when they saw the Red Sea splitting? Though when the disciples row, rowing and rowing and rowing and laboring and laboring, and Jesus comes walking in the water, steps in the boat, and they're immediately at dry land. How much you'd be smiling and laughing. You'd be grinning like an idiot. You're grinning ear to ear. He did it again. The Lord delivered again. The Lord has delivered. The Lord is delivering. The Lord can deliver again. He has helped. He is helping. He will help again. The Lord will never fail. He, he cannot fail. And he never will fail. The Lord has promised, is promising, and will promise again. The point is to remember this. 
the flesh doubts, the flesh fears, the flesh stresses, the flesh frets, the flesh gets weary, the flesh gets tired, the flesh gets sore, the flesh gets worn out, but the spirit is always ready. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do not hear me carefully. Do not believe in Jesus according to fleshly abilities. You believe in Jesus according to all, all fulfillment and ability of the Spirit. The flesh limits God. The flesh limits the abilities of Christ. The flesh says... It's not physically capable. It's not physically able. And so therefore creates hypothetical situations where God fails. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't limit. Exactly. Don't limit God to our abilities and to our laws of physics and our concept of time. We see Joshua with the Israelites in the great battle. And Joshua, in full faith of the Lord, spoke and commanded the sun and the moon to stand still, stand still in space until the battle was over. God froze time and space for Joshua. And the sun and the moon did not move. God froze the movement of earth and everything. He froze time and space for Joshua. And it says, and never again was such a thing ever seen. If the Lord can freeze time and space for Joshua, what could he do for you? If he can part the sea for Moses, stop the mouths of the lions for Daniel, deliver from the fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, feed the thousands, walk on water, whatever else, heal the sick, raise the leper. If he could speak the universe into existing, how is your God able? Are you limiting the Lord? Are you limiting your prayers? Are you limiting your faith? You see, we can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our faith. We can lose our trust. We can forget to pray. We can become apathetic. We can start limiting God. We need to come back to the point of absolute fullness of faith. Absolute believing faith. Unlimited. Overflowing. God is able to do anything and everything. The God of Moses and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Elijah and Samuel and Deborah, Esther, Hannah, Anna, Huldah. The God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter and Paul, Mary and Martha. The God of scripture. The God that caused the iron axe head to float is the God that walks today. Is the spirit that now dwells within us. The Holy Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ who lives in the heart of every believer, who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never let you go. But when you find yourself rowing in the sea and the waves are buffeting you, start laughing. Start rejoicing. Because now a challenge has arisen. It's not a challenge for you. It's not a challenge for us. It's a challenge for God. Behold, 
I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for us? Yes, the floating iron axe head. That happened with, uh, is it Elijah or Elisha? I always get them mixed up. But uh, one day uh, at the camp of the prophets, they were cutting down trees. And one of the, one of the young students, uh, the iron axe head flew off of the axe handle and flew into the river. And he lost it. And it just so happened, as it always is, it just so happens that uh, that the prophet of God was walking by and he runs out and says, Master, help me. And he shows shows him what happened. He says, and the axe was borrowed. It wasn't even mine. Now, back then, iron axe heads were very, very expensive. And so they didn't have very much of that. So the prophet walks over, cuts off a tree branch, throws the branch in the water, and the iron axe head floated. And he was able to retrieve the iron axe head. That's written in the Bible. That actually happened. Moses' staff turned to a snake. The Red Sea split in half. God defies the laws of physics. God is able to do anything and everything. He could turn a butcher of the church into the apostle of Christ. Those are real, literal stories. These things actually happen. The things that are written in the word of God are literal. They actually happen. So many people doubt them and say, say that it's all metaphor, it's all allegory, it's all just you know made up stories or whatever. No, 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 no. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on him you may have life through his name. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished with all good works, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God's figures are moved by the Holy Ghost. The plagues on Egypt, all of it is literal. The miracles of Jesus, the miracles of the apostles, all the things that happened with the prophets, Samson, Elijah, Samuel, it all happened. Just as the word of God says, God is the God of all things. Don't take anything from him and don't limit his abilities. Pray in faith, believing, knowing that he is able. He is able to do it. Jesus can walk in the waves or he can raise his hand and say, peace, be still. And the storm stops. Or he can make you walk on the walk on the water amongst the waves with him. Whatever he deems fit. The point is to give it to him. Give him all trials. Give him all abilities. Give him everything. Give him the little loaves and fish that you have. Watch God work. Give him the last little bit of oil and meal in the barrel. Watch God work. I will teach thee what thou shalt say in the moment. Open the mouth wide, I shall fill. I will give you the words with which to say in the very same hour. I will teach you how to pray. I will strengthen the feeble knees and lift the hands which hang down. I will guide you with mine eye. Go, and I shall be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Fear not. Worry not. Doubt not. Fret not. When the multitudes come, and you're overwhelmed with how to help them. Remember what he's done before. He can do it again. Even if it's just one-on-one. -on -one, 
even if you're all alone. He's done it before. He is doing it, and he'll do it again. Fear not. Worry not. Fret not. Stress not. It is I. Be not afraid. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So there you go. We're going to wrap it up there. We're going to break this chapter into bits because it's a bit of a long one, and there's a lot in this chapter. So there you go. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in on that. Please make sure you give this a like and a thumbs up if you enjoy this study. And show your support. Make sure you subscribe. Hit notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos. And so I hope this has been an encouragement and a help and a blessing to you. I hope that uh, this really helped you in a way. It always does me. Every time I go through these studies of Gospel of John, it's always such an encouragement to me. It's so uplifting and exciting seeing this. It just... Seeing the Lord smile in this. Could you imagine the, the Lord smiling just at the reactions of the disciples? See, I like to paint pictures in this. I, I like I have a very photographic mind. I have to see pictures in these things. As I like to kind of paint the pictures of these teachings, you know, the disciples freaking out in the boat, rowing and stressing and sweating and freaking out. And the Lord comes and he steps in the boat. Could you imagine the reaction of the disciples and then Christ's reaction to them? That's what I like to do. Smile. Laugh. The Lord loves to laugh. The Lord loves to smile. The Lord loves this. He loves joy. So you can see the joy of the Lord in all of these things. All right. So going through the comments here. Makes me think of the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. Amen. As the Word of God says in Colossians, uh, it, it says, uh, for, for by Him all things consist. That means He literally holds everything together. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. As an ex-Jedemi, we kind of hammered people with our message. I need to remember God is in charge. Thank you for the reminder. Amen. Amen. All right. Imagine if ha-ha was it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is, heaven is filled with laughter. The Lord loves to laugh. He loves to laugh. He loves joy. Could you imagine the reaction of the Lord when he parts the sea in half and, then he, and, he, and he turns and looks at Moses and all the Israelites and their jaws are just hitting the gravel? You know, the Lord would be laughing. The Lord loves to laugh. Could you imagine his reaction to people, their reactions to what he's doing? Or Jesus' reaction when he, Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus comes forth floating out of the out of the grave. Then he turns and looks at all, at all the other people's reactions. Could you imagine the Lord's reaction to that? So seriously, the Lord laughs. Remember, the Lord laughs. All right. Uh, so, uh, Coverstone. No, I have not heard of Coverstone. Sorry. No. So there you go, folks. So please make sure you watch this, share this around, get the message out there, help other people to, uh, to be comforted and encouraged by these things as this message is a great message of encouragement and strength and help as it helps me, especially when we're going through hard times and stressful things, especially in, in our day and age right now in our society. These are things we need to remember. 
these are things we need to remember. Then the waves of issues and problems of society and government and everything else coming along is remember just to bring Christ into it. Don't forget Christ and to laugh. Laugh in the midst of the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Learn to laugh in the midst of the waves. Don't worry about the crowds or what to do. The Lord will give you the wisdom in the moment. Worry not. So there you go. So we're going to wrap it up there. And uh, tomorrow, as uh, being Saturday, will be our Q&A day. I hope you'll tune in for that. And also just want to let you know, folks, just in advance, just so you know, next week I'm going to be gone. I'll be here Monday, but uh, but I'll be gone for the rest of the week. So um, I'm going away the, on, a, on a trip there. So I hope that uh, it's not... Too much of an imposition. I know people look forward to these, but we got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of videos and backlog of videos. You always say check up on those, uh, brush up on some of the other stuff, uh, check out the other playlists. We could do some uh, to do some broadcasts as well. If there's anyone here who'd be willing to do some as well, please uh, let them know and uh, where they can find you. You can always put it in the comments uh, underneath this video when we're done here, uh, just so other people see that and they know how to catch you. Uh, where to go so things to look forward to so but i'll be here uh, tomorrow and i'll be here monday and then i'm gone for for the week so i'll be back at the following week and we'll, we'll catch up there so with that then uh we'll wrap that up god bless you god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again folks and always remember stay strong Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Stand strong. Rejoice in the Lord. Laugh with the Lord. Go in the joy of our Lord and preach the gospel. Show them the truth. All right. So, folks, God bless you. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.